This is your coffee break. I'm so excited to have you on my show. Not as excited as I am to be here. <laughs> Good. Oh, that's wonderful. If you're okay, we can just jump right into things, and I'll ask you to just maybe tell a little bit of your story, who you are, and why you got into writing. I'm Jay Greenfield. I'm 84 years old, but I don't feel it. That's awesome. I probably wanted to be a writer almost forever, but I really wanted to become a writer in high school when I had a teacher who encouraged me a great deal in a lot of ways. And um, the high school had a literary magazine and I wrote stories for that literary magazine. And I don't know if you read the novel, but the stories were short, they were high school. Uh, they had a lot to do with the geography and the fact that it was a summer town where the population tripled uh, during the summer months. We had only two seasons, mm -hmm. summer, which was July 4th to Yom Kippur, and winter, which was the rest of the year. <laughs> so I, I, in high school, if you would have asked me, I said I would have liked to be a writer. Um, and in college, um, I think starting with the second half of my freshman year, I took creative writing courses, and I liked it, and I had an extremely good teacher who was very encouraging and went on to get some notoriety as a poet. And uh, he encouraged me. But he also was very realistic uh, that this was not a good way to make a living. Hmm. Uh, and, and the hotshot writers who went on to uh, Iowa or, or other serious writing programs, they ended up working for Popular Mechanics doing want ads, having a hard time. One or two of them ultimately didn't make as big as writers, but made as big as editors. Hmm. I was also strongly influenced by, by my cousin, Howard Sackler, who was totally dedicated to writing and wasn't at all interested in the obstacles. He ultimately won the Pulitzer Prize and did quite well, but, but for many years he struggled. And uh, he struggled to the point that, as I've written before, that his big meal of the month was uh, spaghetti with ketchup, which I might add is very good, but, but I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. Howard, um, he, he won the Pulitzer Prize for The Great White Hope, started to do very well financially, very well artistically, and he unfortunately died at the age of 53. And, and he, was in both, he was both an inspiration and a warning because his life was so hard and his dedication so total. Uh, but in any event, um, I didn't go to Iowa. I thought of it. That was the place to go even then. I instead went to graduate school in sociology, which made no sense. <laughs> And I liked it so much, I volunteered to go in the Army and, and served in Korea for two years. And then I did what I thought would be the inevitable, and just to make a living, um, and went to law school, which I enjoyed from the first day. And I didn't want to go. I had to do something. And I didn't want to try writing. And I was very lucky that I, that I enjoyed law so much. I got married just before law school, and, and uh, my clerical assistant, who's also my wife, and, um, well, if you read the acknowledgments, you'll see how I really feel. Uh, <laughs> the, but I miss muse. She, she's really, and this is true, this is not a sad, she is my muse. I love it. And she's a very, very uh, critical, careful, and um, sensitive reader. So 
you know, I did quite well as a practice of law, liked it a lot, but it it's a rough life. Hmm. You know, the only thing worse than being too busy is not being too busy. So it, it gets to you. And then I don't know, remember, maybe, maybe Judy remembers. At some point, uh, I started to go to writing, to summer writing programs. We went to Iowa, had a summer writing program. Sounds prestigious, but anyone can go. You know, <laughs> I like that a lot. We went to Bennington several times during the year. I took some courses in writing at Sarah Lawrence. And I realized, I, I realized two things, that I never stopped liking it. And the second is it's very hard work. You know, putting words on paper is, is easy. But making them read well and editing is, is, is tough. And I joined writers groups and what have you. And um, on the day, on, I can remember the day, on May 20th, 1991, when my, had my first grandchild, my granddaughter, was one day old, and we were trying very hard to engage in beauty contests to get clients, and sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't go well, and I said, it's enough. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old soon, and um, if I'm going to try it, I'll try it. Um, I didn't just jump into it. I took a half a year off to see if I liked it, et cetera, et cetera. And then I retired early uh, in 1964 from my law firm, which has been totally supportive of what I'm doing, including adjusting the pension. <laughs> uh, I started writing very heavily, you know, taking writing courses and have, have a very good editor who's I've been with him for a while. I don't know what else to say. It's a, it's a very good, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And I'm, I'm doing something I really like. You know, I'm having a moderate amount of success. But, uh, you know, I look forward to getting up and writing. You know, you talk about getting up and writing. Do you get up and write every day now? Uh, for, uh, I try to observe the Sabbath, Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I usually fail. <laughs> I probably either write or edit or six days a week, except I take time uh, to promote Max's Diamonds. You know, I've spoken at a lot of places, uh, I've read it at a lot of places, and it's, and it's a big effort. It I mean, is. if you think of the return for the amount of time I put into it, I'm probably making about 25 cents an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like it. I just, I just, um, led a discussion last night out in Rye, and it was very pleasant. No, yesterday afternoon. I'm in the midst of another novel, which I have thought about on and off for a long time, and I've written parts of it uh, and then shelved them for, for maybe decades. Mm -hmm. But I think this, the second novel, has great, it's called Almost Friends. I think it has great both artistic and commercial potential. It fundamentally deals with the relations between Jews and blacks during the civil rights movement. Mm. And we just didn't sit around and sing, we shall overcome. In fact, I was gonna call one chapter, I never sang, we shall overcome. And, uh, you know, I, I like to work on that now, but I do want to promote Max's Diamonds and I, I like Max's Diamonds and people have liked it. So I'm having a very fulfilling life. My, my cardiologist just told me that I had the cardiogram of a 16 year old. so. I expect to be going for a while. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love to hear that. 
I hope you do keep going for a long time. I love your, yeah, I love your, your energy and your passion for writing. Can you, can you tell me where that passion for writing came from? You talk about writing short stories in high school. Um, tell me a little bit more about where that came from. You know, I, I never asked myself. Uh, I, it came a bit from my cousin Howard, but it, it just kind of, it just kind of was there. You know, my parents were very intelligent, very uneducated. Uh, they hardly read anything. I mean, my father said the only books he liked were dirty books and good detective stories. <laughs> but that, so we didn't have a lot of books in the house. But I had a brother who uh, was kind of an intellectual and English major, and he read a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same high school teacher that, that so encouraged me, you know, she gave me an enthusiasm to read, and she would give me stuff to read over the summer. She would talk to me about it. it was, I was very lucky that way. But I had it before I met her. Hmm. And then, I don't know how to put this nicely, but it's, it's just nice to see your name in print. It is. Oh, my gosh. Tell me how it felt to see your first book in print. Max's Diamonds? Mm-hmm. I, I still haven't gotten over it. I, mean, hmm. I, I just wish a couple of thousand other people saw it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it felt terrific. It's you know it's, uh, it's a very attractive cover, um, done very well. The blurbs are very good, and uh, it, I I think really I just would tell myself I'm a writer. I'm really a writer. <laughs> I love that. So you retired in 1964, and and you started writing right away then. Well, I had written a couple of the summer program. Retired I, in 1964. Yeah, retired in 64. No. Yes. Oh, what am I saying? I retired in 1994. Oh, 1994. Okay. <laughs> 1964 is an important year. That's the year of Freedom Summer, the height of the Civil Rights Movement, yes. which is the centerpiece of, of the novel I'm writing now. I retired in 1994. I did a lot of other things, I was, but I don't know when it was. I spent almost two years supervising the representation of uh, about 30 some odd families who had lost someone in 9-11. That was very gratifying. And I I didn't think of it as an ordeal, but it did take away from writing. And uh, I don't know when it was uh, that I said, now I'm just going to write nothing else. That was definitely probably with, I would say, three, four or five years ago. And I, I would stop being in all my organizations and, and do nothing but write and swim. And that's about all I do. Did you realize that you had to give up those other things in order to dedicate yourself fully to writing? And then how did it feel to give those other things up? Well, I certainly had to give up my commercial law practice. Hmm. That is not a uh, part-time endeavor. <laughs> you, the, the guy who founded my firm and who helped to make it great said, you do it, it's total commitment. Hmm. And that's the way we did it, and that's the way I did it. I was ready to give that up because I, uh, the commercial part of it, which I did quite well, was, was get on your nerves. Mm. And the beauty contests, uh, <laughs> trying to get clients to give you matters, could get on your nerves too. I don't like marketing. I don't like marketing matches, <laughs> although I do like talking to you. <laughs> so the other things I gave up, I, I was ready to give up. Uh, to, you know, the, the, charities I was active in, the Jewish organizations, unless you're willing to do that close to full time and put up with a lot of, I'm trying to think of a good word, I don't know, put up, you fill in the blank, <laughs> and put, 
with a lot of work and, and the occasionally difficult people, you know, that that maybe I'm wrong, but you really can't do anything well unless you're willing to give it a total commitment or at least close to that. You talked about a love of reading. What was your favorite thing to read while you were growing up? When I was a young boy, there was a writer, I don't know if he's that well known anymore, named John Steinbeck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, John. just a little bit. He's I a little famous. I certainly love John. He was the first adult book that took me. John Tunis. John Tunis wrote sports books for boys. And uh, Philip Roth, in one of his <laughs> books, talked about him a lot. Uh, and uh, he was a very good writer and a very clear writer. Then in high school, this, this teacher, her name is Mrs. Wexler, um, she told me to read The Grapes of Wrath. And that, that I think, w- was close to an epiphany. I, I, said, you know, I couldn't put it down, and I, Steinbeck could really write. And that was, you know, a story with a lot of social implications in it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just terrific. What, what Steinbeck could do, what a lot of writers can do, which I find very hard, is tell a story simply and without an abundance of uh, adjectives or adverbs, and just lay it out. Of Mice and Men uh, is a very good example of that. It is. It's it's beautifully concise. It's it's simply told, and yet it's so deep and poignant. Was that was that related to your epiphany? Is that what that was, kind of re- related to the... It was more Grapes of Wrath. Hmm. And that uh, was related to the simplicity of the language? That, but the social, hmm. the, the social realism of it, and, and the incredible suffering of the people and the more or less total indifference to their suffering. Yeah. Um, Do you think that fiction today still has that power? Do I think? Well, it certainly can. Uh, not, I don't want to overstate, but nothing has had the impact on me that uh, The Grapes of Wrath had. And so our daughter is, is an English professor and she teaches it. She, she thinks it's, 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 a, it's a great book also. Uh, Did she learn that from you? You know, I don't know. She, Judy, my wife, is, is a very heavy reader and a very, very good reader. I don't know whether she learned it. She seemed to be born with it. <laughs> she described being an English professor as, you know, what could be better than being paid to read books, except it wasn't, it wasn't just that. <laughs> well, yeah, my wife in particular is a children's librarian, oh. and, and she read to them a great deal with a great deal of, of uh, love of the book. So they, they all caught that. All, all my children like to read. I mean, some you read more than... Stories. What's that, Judy? And you made up stories. And I used to make up stories, but I don't have the imagination anymore. Yes, you do. No, well, my imagination is tired. Of... <laughs> <laughs> so when you write now, do you, do you not draw on your imagination? What do you draw on? Well, I do draw on my imagination, but the stories I told the children were essentially nonsense, mm. but they would laugh at whatever I said. <laughs> they were too easy an audience. Maybe. You are you also have a great sense of humor, so that probably helps. My, my older son says I have a great sense of humor. But, but no, he, no, he says I'm very funny, but looks aren't everything. Oh. <laughs> I'm so curious. Um, you talk about writing being hard work. What's the hardest part no. of writing for you? The first draft is easy. But then the second draft, you've got to make it flow. You've got to make it smooth. You have to... Elmore Leonard, you know who he is, is a very successful uh, non-literary writer. I mean, he, he says you have to take out the parts that people aren't going to read. 
So that's that's a lot of work. And uh, I, I, I find making it less flowery, uh, according to my wife, making the central character less unpleasant <laughs> oh. or, or less negative. Uh, no, I, th there's no part of it I don't enjoy. But uh, the easiest part is just getting out the original draft. But frequently, particularly with what I'm writing now, um, I've thought out the scene beforehand. And to some degree, with, with, with almost friends, I've actually written it. Uh, and I'm just modifying some things to fit in with the overall plot. But today was a day that, that uh, I almost resented when I had to stop. <laughs> oh, you know, to wash my face for this. I know that feeling. And I, I'm so, I'm a little envious that, you know, you, you get to, to do this day in and day out, this work that you love. When you were a lawyer full time, did you feel the same thing about being a lawyer that, you know, finding it hard to stop at the end of the day or? Yes, but with a lawyer, particularly a trial lawyer, there was always something to worry about. Mm -hmm. There was always something that could go wrong, always something that could be better. And you always, not always, but you usually had an adversary and you had to worry about what he was doing and what he, I say he because they almost all were men, what he was doing and, and, and what he was thinking. You know, you, you might not be doing that well in the case at that time. So it, it was it was much different. I mean, if I had life to do all over again, well, I don't know what I would do, but be, I'd be very tempted to, uh, to, you know, to have the same kind of legal career. Yeah. Did you take away anything valuable from your legal career that has helped you in writing? Yes, sir. <laughs> I had a, a a mentor who became a friend who was a exceedingly bright guy. And uh, I largely came to my firm, which is a very well-known firm. When I came there, it wasn't that big and it wasn't that well-known. But but at, at the interview, he asked me what I was reading. And, and we talked. I liked that very much. And we talked very much. And then when I wrote my first brief for him, which was about two months after the interview, he said, when you had your interview, you never told me that German was your language, was your native language. Oh, wow. <laughs> I took away a lot from that. And there was a reason for that, because um, in graduate school, I worked with a very eminent sociologist, a very brilliant man who absolutely couldn't write. And he had spent years, he was an American, but he had spent years studying in Germany. And um, uh, his writing was almost impossible to read. Can I tell a story away yes. from the novel? But before I went to law school, I got a commission from a magazine. What was the name, Judy? I don't remember the name. It was a, mag a semi-intellectual magazine for, for businessmen. And I was going to try to popularize this guy's very complicated sociology theories. And I wrote a draft, and the magazine loved it. And his name was Dr. Parsons, and he didn't like it. You missed this, you missed that, you missed the other thing. So I rewrote it to please him. And then the magazine didn't like it. No. <laughs> Complicated people wouldn't. And I rewrote one more draft, and that I was getting $50 for the assignment. And I, I rewrote one more draft that pleased the magazine and didn't please him. And then I said, I'm glad I'm going to law school. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. At least in law, and this is, you know, there's a great value in putting things simply. It's, it's not the popular conception, but there's a great, and, you know, particularly with the, ju with the jury. 
Oh, yeah. If you can't put it simply, the jury won't understand you. And there's almost everything can be put simply. Yes, I agree with that. You held on to this dream of being a writer. Do you feel like that's been fulfilled? Do you feel like you still have a lot to go? You have more to write? Well, you know, my age is, is, is a problem. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I have a, I'm not as sharp as I used to be, but then again, I never was. I, mean, I don't know if I have a novel in me after I finish Almost Friends. I have some ideas, but one of them would be supremely challenging. But um, I don't know. I want to keep writing, but um, you know, I recognize, and I'm, I'm being serious now, that that uh, my memory is slipping a little bit, and you know, I have to keep going back to check on characters' names, to check on what they said before, to check on how they look. I'm going to keep going. I'm certainly going to going to finish Almost Friends, and I'm certainly going to make a major effort to uh, to have it published and, and promote it. And with maybe luck, I'm knocking wood, you can't see it. Um, and, and with a little luck, I, maybe I'll start the third novel. I hope you do. I have the title, I have the plot. Do you really, for your third one? It'll be very hard, yes. That's amazing. Should I tell it to you? Well, I mean, if, if, you, if you're okay with that. You're not going to rob it. No, I, I, I promise. I, it flowed from the work I did representing the 9-11 families. And usually, but not always, the client would be a widow, and she was entitled to get some compensation uh, from the government, sometimes a lot of compensation. The central character, I, I was sick of writing of poor Jewish boys from New York, and I think most people are sick of that. But she was, she was going to be a very smart, unbearably shy girl from Iowa, from the University of Iowa, although a family, a father would be connected with a law school, but not with the writing program. She was painful. She'd have, she should have never become a lawyer. And she goes to work for a large New York City firm in the trust and estates department, which is probably the best department for someone who's terribly shy. Yes. Um, and 9-11 comes a day or two after she starts. And were you in New York then by any chance? or? No. No, but I saw it on TV. Well, I'm not talking about the, the collapse, which was horrible enough. But for months, pictures and drawings were all over every place you could look. Mm. Grand Central, in front of buildings, uh, you know, they're all over. Have you seen? It was incredibly moving. Have you seen? And they would describe the missing father or husband or, or what, what was it? And I don't think that led to anyone finding anybody. But... The character in, this is going to be called Searching For. They often would begin Searching For. She is jealous of the widows because they had something to lose and she had nothing to lose. Hmm. So she takes on the pro bono representation of the widow of a fireman and she robs her identity and she goes to file her claim, not intending to keep the money for herself, but just try to live a life precariously through this woman whose identity she robbed. And she goes to get a pro bono lawyer who was doing what we were doing, and he sees through it right away. But he's also attracted to her. I haven't figured out how to take it from there. I like this. So do I. I hope I can do it. I hope you can too. I hope you do it. I hope well, you do. If, 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 the body, if the body is able, I probably will do it. Good. Oh, I hope so. So I think that, and that made me think of a few questions. I'm going to give a lot 
of effort Good. and rewriting to to almost friends. The one I'm writing right now. How long do you see that taking? Well, it depends on the editing. Um, I'd be pleased if I could start sending it out in six months. I wouldn't be surprised if it took about a year. And, uh, you know, since I've had all the trouble getting getting an agent the first time, and now that I some people have thought highly of the book and it's gotten some good reviews, I might, you know, it might move on a faster track. But I'm, I'm not going to send it out until I'm reasonably satisfied that it's the best I can do. Would you have any advice for people? I know that a lot of people who listen to this show feel like time is slipping through their fingers and they have to do everything right now. Would you have any advice for them about waiting for the right time to become a novelist or to pursuing that writing dream? It's a very, very difficult question in light of what I said about total commitment and how difficult writing writing a novel is. Mm-hmm. I would try, even if you have a full-time job and, and full-time family obligations, try to, to keep your finger in the pot. Try to try to try to never let it go completely, which, which I more or less started after I practiced law for about 20 years. Try to keep doing a little bit of it. Go to a writing institute. They're all over the place. And, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they happen to be fun. And I mean, Vermont is a very nice place. And Bennington College is a very nice place. And so I would, I would recommend doing it. Try, try it. But um, I was lucky. I could afford to retire early. Not everybody is that lucky. I wrote during these writing programs. I think during all that time, only I only published one short story, but I spent a lot of a lot of time improving that. That was moderately successful, so and it, gave, it gave me a great deal of encouragement. You've done a lot with your life, and it sounds like you've been committed fully to everything that you've done. Whether you're a lawyer now, whether you're a writer, um, whether you're a dad or a granddad. What makes a life fulfilling for you? I'd have to lie down on a couch to hear an honest and complete answer. Life fulfilling. And doing your best and trying. You know, being pleased with what you do. You know, I have an enormous advantage because I'm in love with my wife. Mm-hmm. So, so that, 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 yeah, that gives me a great head start. What is a fulfilling life? I think if I were to answer that, it would just be a pile of pompous platitudes, so. That's fair. But, uh, so I'm not sure I'm gonna, you know, I, I know what I know what the psychologist would say, what Eric Throne would say to somebody, with them. you know, having work you love and a family you love, but that's. Well, I think that's true. Oh, my wife is saying she thinks that's true. And I, I, I think that's true. I, and doing I, good for the world. Well, you know, she says, and doing good for the world. I, I rephrase that and trying to do good for the world. It's uh, it's hard these days. I mean, you know, I went down south to work as a lawyer during the election mm-hmm. um, and uh, made sure that Trump, I assume you're not for Trump, but, and made sure that Trump didn't steal Florida, but he did win it fairly and swirly. I applaud your efforts. <laughs> oh. Jay, you have this amazing legacy behind you. You have a loving wife, you have a family, you have a successful law career, and you have this wonderful second career coming up. 
I'm so delighted that you're doing this. I'm so excited that you agreed to be on my show and that you're willing to share your wisdom with listeners. I, I'm just so excited to release this episode. If people are interested in picking up a copy of Max's Diamonds, what can they do? Where can they go? Well, probably the easiest is on Kindle, mm. and Amazon has it. I can't tell you what books. Barnes and Noble. Barnes and, uh, and Noble has it, and some independent bookstores have it but I have no idea which ones. But the simplest way and the least expensive way is probably Amazon. Do you have a website as well? Yes. What's the name? J. Greenfield Author. J. Greenfield Author. Perfect. I will be sure to link to that in the show notes for today's episode. I guess anything else that you'd like to mention or talk about that I didn't ask about? I will give one more piece of advice if possible. I would love that. From hell or high water... If you can take two weeks or a week even during the summer, go to a good writing program. And there's probably none better than Iowa. Sarah Lawrence was very good. Not Sarah Lawrence. Sarah Lawrence was good. But Bennington was very good. But, but Iowa is Iowa. Was there something that you took away that was particularly valuable during one of those conferences? You know, in enthusiasm. Mm. And also, when really good writing teachers and really good writers said you could write, you know, I felt wrong, well, you know, if I can write, I may as well try it. But, but I had some good te teachers at these schools. That, that's, that's what I, I would recommend. Mm -hmm. I know there are people who said you should take an hour every day or three hours every week. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't turn off my legal practice. I couldn't turn off the other things I was doing. I love that you made it work. Well, knock wood, so far it's worked. And I think it's going to work. It's going to work. I think it will, too. I didn't get to finish Max's Diamonds, but I read a good a good chunk of it. The dialogue is amazing. It's got a great humor to it. It's just enjoyable. And so I am so excited that you have more novels in you to share. And so, yes, I've endorsed you. <laughs> Jay, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. All right. I, I, I've enjoyed it. I don't want to become a professional old jerk. <laughs> I, don't I don't think you're there. I don't think you're there yet, if I, it's possible. I don't know how many more of these I have in me. <laughs> okay? That's fair. Right. Yeah, you, right. are, you are delightful. Thank you so much for sharing your evening. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great